Brian Millsap, chairman and CEO of Atlanta-based Black Hall Studios, is one of today's top entertainment executives with a vision for Black Hall that's ambitious, energizing, and boundless. Millsap is blazing a trail through the heart of the South and setting his sights on the future of entertainment. Listen and learn as Ryan Millsap journeys through the myriad industries, people, and landscapes that traverse the complex and dynamic world of film production. I'm Ryan Millsap, host of the Black Hall Studios podcast from Atlanta, Georgia. I'm an entrepreneur, mostly by necessity because I have massive authority issues, and also by constitution as the entrepreneurial life is filled with things I love, freedom, adventure, creativity, and imagination. When I began this leg of my journey into the entertainment industry, you may find it interesting to know that my background before this was all commercial real estate and that I built Black Hall Studios as a specialty real estate project for production giants like Disney, Sony, Warner Brothers, and Universal to have a place to apply their skilled craft of production. I'm from Los Angeles, but I moved to Atlanta six years ago. I've done business all over the world, and I know a few places with the dynamism of Atlanta. It's a world-class city with a huge economic future as a center of commerce for a global economy. On this podcast, we get local and global and talk to people who are inspirational, sensational, sometimes motivational, but at all times somehow tied to the ecosystem that is the culture and business of entertainment as it relates to Black Hall Studios. Hey, good morning. Welcome to the uh, Black Hall podcast, going remote as we're all in quarantine. Today, we're really fortunate to have Kenny Blank, who is a director of the Arthur Blank Foundation and one of the leads on the Jewish film. We are the Atlanta Jewish Film Festival. That's right, the Atlanta Jewish Film Festival. I'm so sorry. Film festivals, remember those? I know. We, God, when are we going to get back to being able to watch films? Well, I think there's plenty of movie watching going on. Unfortunately, it's not happening in the theaters right now. Yeah, the collective experience is missing. If you look at AMC being totally empty and all of the festivals, uh, whether they're music or film festivals all being canceled. It's a unique time, particularly for extroverted people who love to gather in groups. It is. It's sad. On a personal level, I was on a plane heading out to South by Southwest. Uh, My daughter goes to college out at UT Austin, and this has become our annual tradition, experiencing the festival together. And literally, while I was on the flight, uh, the governor of Texas declared a state of emergency, and the, the festival had been canceled. Little did we know then that was just the first domino to fall and that all of these subsequent, uh, as you said, film, music, uh, any kind of mass gathering and entertainment event like this would be suspended in this way. And uh, yeah, I think it's, I hope coming out of this that there has been some nostalgia created for the shared movie-going experience. Uh, We know that digital and streaming was challenging uh, the industry in some ways, at least the, the exhibition industry. But um, and look, I think there's going to be a permanent change here. This crisis has really, in my mind, just accelerated that which was happening already, both for film presenters like ourselves, uh, but also uh, on the industry side. And so coming out of this, I hope that we're able to find a balance that still allows for traditional exhibition of film because we need that community connection now more than ever. What are some of the changes that you think might be permanent? Are you are you starting to imagine how these trends continue on? 
Well, it's shocking to me, as you said, I, I MC's closed. Uh, Regal has been our longtime partner at the film festival, and you're hearing about you know, furloughs and questions about whether these major uh, major entities in the film industry will survive coming out of this. And uh, we certainly hope that they will, but I, I think they will forever be changed. How exactly, we don't know. I think film festivals and film presenters are going to have to adopt to what will become some new permanent reality. I, again, I do think films were intended to be a shared communal experience. Uh, I know at the film festival, the way that the audience responds to the film is totally changed uh, when you're sharing the viewing experience with others. And then, of course, the opportunity for dialogue, conversation with the film artists and other guests. That opportunity to understand, explore, uh, is truly unique to a festival. I think maybe to your question, that will be, at least for film festivals, uh, how we survive and thrive after this is the emphasis on creating truly unique experiences. Uh, I think festivals have always, to some extent, offered that, different than the traditional movie-going experience. But now we really have to find ways to compel audiences to leave the safety of home, the comfort of their couch, and come out to the film festival to get something that they can't get at home. And that may be a conversation with the film artists, but it probably needs to be a even larger, uh, more enriching experience than that. When we talk about a film festival that has the word Jewish in it, tell me what makes a film festival Jewish. Is it, or does it only accept uh, Jewish filmmakers? What are the criteria? What, ha what specifically um, are kind of the, 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 the parameters around a film festival that is specifically cultural? It's a great or question. Is it? And, well, it's a question that uh, I think every festival, Jewish festival, answers a little differently and to which there is no hard and fast rule. At the Atlanta Jewish Film Festival, we are a celebration of Jewish culture, Jewish life, history, and heritage. I like to think of it like any other great arts and cultural event here in the city. Uh, it is really for the whole community to experience. It's a chance to sample life in another part of the world, a different cultural uh, life story, to be interested in characters and experiences that in our own day-to-day -day experience, we may not um, have the opportunity to be exposed to. And we are obviously, um, as this crisis has shown, we are such an interconnected world now. The importance of walking in someone else's shoes. It's a really universal festival uh, that explores stories from all, from people from all walks of life, all parts of the world. The common thread is there has to be some connection to uh, Jewish life. Uh, it has to be on screen. So uh, whether the film artist, regardless of their background, their uh, uh, religious background or ethnicity, that's not uh, the primary consideration. It, it really is. Uh, does the film itself explore uh, these themes on screen? So we, we explore, uh, you know, the film's uh, documentaries, narratives, shorts, features, every conceivable topic and genre you can imagine. Uh, we have films in the festival that are thrillers, comedies, dramas, romance. We've had horror films and musicals. Any genre of film that you could see at any mainstream festival, we have a place for that at AJFF. And then the topics, again, are wide and universal and really intersect with people from all walks of life. That's a very long answer. I don't know if that gets you any closer. No, it answers it perfectly. I mean, it, there, there has to be a string that gets tied through somehow. 
and I think you described it very eloquently, which is that it's a it's a loose thread, but it is a connected one. Yeah, I think I just think uh, today more than ever, all of, all of us are connected um, in so many ways. So this idea that an LGBTQ film festival is only for uh, the gay, uh, gay and lesbian community, or uh, you have to be African American to go experience Ron Glenn's film festival, or you have to be Greek to go to the Greek festival down at the park. All of these different cultural, ethnic, religious experiences. And that's one of the beautiful things about Atlanta is we are such a, a rich, diverse city. That's so that true. Granted, I think we take that for granted that we have this opportunity to sample uh, all these different kinds of cultural experiences. So we are all about celebrating that. Yeah, no, I, um, I think that's true in America in general, how fortunate we are. And Atlanta is a particularly strong melting pot of ideas, people, ethnicity, culture. It's, it's, a, it's a very, very unique place. It, in, in some ways, you know, Atlanta reminds me a little bit of Berlin, right? You have this city uh, in Germany that is unique uh, inside of Germany. And in, in Atlanta, you have this city that is so unique in the South, right? That you're surrounded by a particular culture, but then you have this like exponentially uh, more creative element that just appears as a as an oasis. And that's really sure. how Atlanta sits in the South. Share with us a little bit about how you got interested in film. I know you have a very diverse background. You've gotten to see all sorts of things um, all over the world, been involved in all sorts of different businesses, all sorts of different charities. Share with the people listening uh, some of your story and you know, tie it into to the, the film aspect, but also just kind of share with us a little bit about the, the, the journey that you've been on in your own personal development that has made you interested in these particular things. All of us who work in this industry feel it's a gift to be able to pursue professionally uh, our own personal passions, and there is no professional training or major for becoming a film festival director. I think people who enter the film festival world do so coming from all different walks of life. And so my story is no different there. I, I was fortunate enough to be able to go to NYU's Tisch School of the Arts for uh, filmmaking. Uh, I also, at that same time, pursued a, a double major in journalism. And uh, coming out of film school, uh, I went more in a traditional communications route and uh, worked for a couple of Atlanta mayors. Uh, doing communication PR, uh, worked in journalism for a number of years as a television news producer uh, in Savannah and then Atlanta, and really just sort of stumbled into this opportunity with the film festival. Uh, it was just getting off the ground in 2000. Uh, the festival was launched by, not as an arts initiative, but really as an advocacy project of international uh, Jewish nonprofit called American Jewish Committee. They were using the power of film to forward their mission, which is around bridge building, uh, fighting anti-Semitism, uh, celebrating religious pluralism. And they really invited me initially to get involved as a volunteer. Very quickly, this festival started to grow. The organization needed full-time leadership. And they really invited me at that time to uh, take this on and become my full-time job. And that's how I got started with festival first uh, full-time executive director. 
What have been the things that you have learned in that role that have enlightened you, encouraged you, inspired you? You might, I mean, you see so many things come through that festival. You know, stories that are presented on screen are so unique and which are amazing. The production values, the caliber of craft, filmmaking, and the, the acting is all absolutely best in class anywhere in the world. But Hollywood films obviously tend to focus on more easily consumable uh, stories for American audiences. And growing up as a film lover, you know, I was watching all the classic uh, Hollywood films, but never had any exposure to all of this other international cinema that was out there. And so the film festival was in many ways uh, that first exposure. And to realize that all of these different countries had equally compelling stories to tell. Again, people from different walks of life, different life experiences, different challenges in their society, different styles of telling those stories that was very much very different from Hollywood storytelling. Different kinds of characters, more ambiguous endings, uh, different uh, styles of filmmaking and artistry, and all of that was, was so eye-opening to me. So to share that with Atlanta audiences who also may have not previously been exposed to that international cinema, I think that's been one of the greatest gifts of the festival, to see people come out of these films truly transformed, seeing something that they cannot see anywhere else, um, and really looking at the world in truly a, a new light. Well, when you get involved in the art house scene, one of the things that you know I've always loved is the ambiguity you talked about that feels like it mirrors life a little bit more directly than oftentimes what we get in the in the big blockbuster narratives, which listen, the thing we all love about the big blockbuster narratives is the simplicity and closure um it it, it sure. makes for very emotionally gratifying storytelling, but it isn't necessarily. A, a reflection of human life. If um, if we had a cocoon that we put all these movies into and, and, and left on Earth and disappeared and another race found them and watched our movies, if they only watched our blockbusters, they'd think our lives were something very different <laughs> than what they actually are, right? Indeed. Whereas if they watched all our art house films, they'd get a better sense of what it actually meant to be a human being on the planet Earth. And I and and I know that that's you know at, at USC Film School at NYU Film School at the at the Centers for Film Learning, there's always that great debate about you know what drama is for, what film is for, um, what the arts are for. Are they are they to reflect our lives? Are they to inspire us? Are they to entertain us? Are they all of the above? And how do you order those? Um, I love that uh, when you're involved in what you're doing. Um, you're getting deep into kind of the philosophy of human life. So I, I guess that helps me transition a little bit to the questions that I, you know, that I love to explore, which is where does this put you philosophically? Share with me the important things that you see to being a human being. And, and in this time of, I mean, really national reflection, you know, if you were leaving letters for your children or you were writing books for your grandkids, what are some of the big life lessons that you would share with them? Wow, uh, it's a great question. And it does cause one to stop and think about really what's the essence of what we do in our day-to-day -day lives. We all have jobs and do different things. and But I don't know that we ever pause and really think about, you know, what is my contribution going to be um, when I leave this earth? And 
as you're posing this question, uh, I think film festivals, sure, we are entertaining. We are providing a diversion. We're also hopefully educating and exposing people, uh, as I said earlier, to uh, people from different cultures, all parts of the world. But sort of what distilling that down, what is the essence of that to your question? And uh, I think it is about helping our society understand our, our shared humanity. And at the end of the day, and we're all feeling this now with the, with the current uh, COVID-19 crisis, is uh, we are at the end of the day, this virus has been sort of the great equalizer. And it's reminded all of us that at the end of the day, we're all just people. We're all here. We, we care about the same things. We love our families. We love our planet. We need to protect each other. We need to care for each other. Uh, yeah, I think films can have that same power um, to remind us of, of that shared humanity, um, that you may come from different corners of the world. You may have different socioeconomic circumstances. But at the end of the day, we're all people. We're all sharing the same uh, journeys uh, on the short time on this earth together. Uh, how can we support each other? How can we find uh, empathy with each other? Understanding. Uh, we say the film festival, the Atlanta Jewish Film Festival, is about building bridges of understanding. So if we can all understand one another better, understand our needs, our challenges, fears, hopes, aspirations, all of those wonderful things, that we can leave this world a better place if we have found that, that, that human bond. Um, and I think film, storytelling, film is just another way of storytelling, and we've been telling stories as a human civilization since, since the beginning. Uh, may have been originally on cave wall uh, drawings and then around a, a fire pit and then through scrolls. And you know, now this is just another way that we tell stories. And I think stories are like water. They're, they're essential to living. Uh, without stories, we don't have structure to our lives. We don't have order to our lives. It, it allows us to process and understand our world. So I think for me, you asked about sort of philosophy. That's, I think at the end of the day, I think that's why I'm so satisfied by the work that I do each day. It's, again, not just putting flickering light up on the screen and distracting people for a couple of hours. Um, I'm hoping that we're strengthening those, those human connections. Human connections make me think of quarantining. How are you quarantining? Who are you quarantining with? And what are you learning <laughs> about human happiness? in the midst of the quarantine? Huh. Well, I am self-quarantining at home uh, here in Atlanta. I'm comfortably ensconced with my family, and we're doing, I guess, what a lot of other people are doing, which is uh, a lot of cooking, eating, uh, a lot of conversation with the family, which, again, I think when people look back at this time, there'll be certain things that they may miss or hopefully feel they can retain coming out of this crisis. And I think we were just talking about connection. I think those family connections, uh, are hopefully being strengthened in this. I know tested sometimes for sure, uh, but I, I think about my own family, and we're certainly spending more time together talking about things that we probably never would be talking about uh, if we were just going about our regular routines and daily lives. The family ritual is after dinner, we all retire to the basement, and uh, everybody gets a rotation around who's going to you know, pick which movie tonight. Um, we've been watching some episodics, which I've never had time for before, and, and now I'm um, catching up on uh, just finished watching with my son uh, Disney's uh, Mandalorian series, uh, which I'm a little late to getting to, but uh, having a great time with that. So 
uh, that's how we're spending our time. And then on the professional front, uh, we are trying to rally our team to forge a path forward through this crisis. And it's a very difficult time, obviously, for everyone, and particularly arts organizations. We are all about bringing audiences together uh, in arts spaces, whether that's a theater, dance, ballet, music, and arcade film. Uh, how are we going to stay connected to our audience during this crisis, and how can we plan for the future so that when these restrictions are lifted and we get back to communing together, how are we going to ensure that we are well prepared to present the best film festival we can at that time? So it's, it's difficult because you're dealing with so many unknowns and uncertainty, and we have to just take it one day at a time. And I think you're seeing a lot of innovation come out of this uh, in all sectors of society, including the art sector, who is struggling, but um, really rising the occasion to adopt to the challenge. What time of year is the Jewish Film Festival here in Atlanta? Is it a summer event, or when when is when are you guys scheduled to to have the film festival this year? We actually really dodged the bullet on that. Our festival just concluded in February, uh, so we are uh, we have year-round programming, but our big annual festival is in February. And uh, just as the festival was concluding uh, on February 27th, is really when you were starting to hear the first report of uh, coronavirus cases popping up in the U.S. We were fortunate in that we were able to complete our big annual tent pole event just in time, but we did have a slate of other year-round programming that we had intended to pivot quickly to, and those have all now been suspended. We're holding out hope that we might be able to continue some of those programs later in the year. Uh, we're making alternative plans uh, where we can, and of course, looking ahead to 2021 and returning back to the big screen, hopefully in February of 2021. Do you know some of the history, the, the, the Jewish history in Atlanta? Because I don't know a lot about that. Is, it, is, there, is there a story there? Is it robust? I mean, what's that narrative? Yeah, that is one of the topics that we explore at the festival is this sort of Jewish geography and uh, how these different Jewish communities have bubbled up and uh, thrived in different corners of not just the United States, but around the world. We had at our most recent festival a story about in Montana, of all places. So uh, we get very specific sometimes, but it's fascinating because uh, each of these communities has a different history, a different Jewish story, and yet also so much in common. Atlanta, we have um, one of the largest Jewish populations in the United States. Uh, depending on the ranking, we're, I believe, the 10th, 11th largest uh, Jewish community uh, in the U.S., uh, 125,000 uh, in uh, Metro Atlanta, and, uh, and yet we have one of the largest Jewish film festivals anywhere in the world, really. The, the, we had been the largest, sometimes second largest, depending on the year. So it's interesting because, like so much of Atlanta, we are so spread out, and I think one of the great things about the film festival it is this one big umbrella event that sort of brings the whole Jewish community together. Film festival goers, they don't go to Sundance and Tribeca and travel around there. They have a love of film, but I think for a big part of the audience, what primarily brings them to the theater is this opportunity to connect with their uh, cultural identity, their religious identity, uh, what it means to be uh, Jewish in Atlanta, and this feeling of community connection and coming together. Uh, our audience will typically start queuing up for a movie uh, about an hour before showtime. That's pretty unusual and I think one of the reasons they do it is not because they have to, but because it's a chance to see family, friends, neighbors, 
and feel that sense of uh, community connection. And of course, a large part of our audience is not Jewish. They just come because they want to see the best in international cinema. In fact, uh, about uh, nearly a third of our festival identifies as non-Jewish. They're, they're coming for that love of film and, as I said earlier, a chance to, to have a cultural experience that they can't get anywhere else. You know, one of the things that I've always uh, admired and loved is about the Jewish international community and just the way that the uh, Jewish culture communicates, sticks together, helps each other. What are some of the ways that you're seeing in this crisis the, the global Jewish community come together, the national Jewish community come together, and the local here, Atlanta Jewish community come together? Well, certainly this is a time where all of our uh, religious institutions are having to find ways to provide uh, solace, comfort, support, uh, inspiration to the communities. I'm a member of uh, the temple, uh, the historic temple synagogue on Peachtree Street, the site, of course, of the the tragic uh, temple bombing milestone event in the history of anti-Semitism in, in this country. And once again, the temple uh, is in this historic uh, footing where they are doing streaming services and virtual programs to help the community feel uh, connected and, and feel they have a safe space uh, online. Such a bombardment of horrible headlines each day. And we want to know what's going on. And we feel that urgency. We also have our own families to attend to. We have our professional lives we need to attend to and the economic toll of all of this. Now more than ever, our religious institutions, I think, provide a vital role in how do we get back to a sense of uh, humanity and spiritual connection? What is our purpose on earth and how can we process these tragic events? So if you look at studies, national studies, international studies uh, about the diminishing impact of traditional religious institutions and formalized religion and all of that. I mean, this is a time that reminds all of us that, that there is absolutely still an urgent need um, to have our, our religious institutions, our synagogues, our churches, um, our mosques, uh, and so forth, uh, to have that available to us as a, a place to find comfort and to find meaning and, and to process uh, events like these in our lives. And it doesn't have to be a worldwide pandemic. We all have individual challenges, tragedies that search for spiritual connection and what's our place on earth. And uh, so it's a reminder about why these religious institutions are still so important and so relevant, uh, no matter how we choose to experience our own faith. You know, as these statistics come out and more and more people are uh, affected directly by this virus, you know, I'm I'm inclined to ask, have you seen... Have you been directly affected? You have friends, family who uh, are dealing with infection. How are they doing? You know, I know all of us are starting to be touched by this directly. Yeah, no, I, I think he's not impacted on some level. Uh, fortunately, in our, our immediate family, uh, we've not had anyone fall ill, um, although you always wonder, there's such a mysterious, uh, sinister quality of this virus, you don't know um, whether you could be infected or not. You may not show any symptoms. Um, the people in your own household, uh, are they safe? Uh, you want to protect them. You want to protect yourself. Uh, it's, it's a very trying time. But we, we feel we're faring fairly well in the situation, for sure. Uh, but yet we know uh, friends who are facing uh, economic hardship, who uh, have other family members who have fallen sick. We all know folks in New York. I think everyone has a, a New York connection. So 
we look with particular concern to the situation in New York and, and family and friends who uh, may be there and how they're dealing with this crisis. Uh, but I, again, I, I try to focus on the positive. I think this is bringing out the best in humanity as well. Uh, people are stepping up and doing their part to protect themselves, their families, their communities. Uh, they're having to make sacrifices of the type we haven't seen since, say, World War II or, or 9-11. People are being tested in new ways, and I, I think, by and large, we as a community are rising to the challenge. Uh, Ryan, your own the generous offer to make your studios available uh, if the need arises to shelter medical patients, and how can we help in this situation, whether it's with our family, with our neighbors, our larger community. It's helping us understand what it means to live in a community and our obligations there. So, yes, I, this is certainly testing us, but I think it's also bringing out the best in people, and uh, that's always encouraging to see. And you always hope in situations like this, when the crisis passes, people won't forget these things, and uh, the good will carry forward. Uh, I love going for walks at night and just hearing the quiet of the city and not so much car traffic and not so many planes flying overhead, noise pollution and light pollution. And the city takes on a whole another feel. And even as horrific as these events are, there's a certain beauty I think we all see um, to kind of this quieting that's happening of our, in our lives uh, and in our city. You hope an element of that is if not, at least maybe we can also change the way we, we live a little bit for the better. You know, I have a lot of friends in L.A., and L.A. is being dramatically affected. But one of the things that's, that's interesting, my friends in L.A. are noting how clear the air is, how bright the sun is, how, how the earth feels like it's breathing while, it, while, while the, the humans are all hiding. The earth feels yes. like it's breathing. And, um, and, it, and it might be a breath that the earth has needed for a long time. I mean, who knows? the positive effects that are happening from a uh, environmental standpoint and who knows the uh, changes that are happening sociologically that will allow us to maybe live more in harmony with the breathing of the earth. I think, I think some of those elements are what you're touching on, which is the ways in which uh, these kind of shocks have lasting social implications on the philosophy of life and the uh, philosophy of culture. Uh, the philosophies that we don't even realize that we have. The other thing that, that I've been exploring in this is the way we handle failure. So I look at the way right now that we're handling this pandemic, and it feels like we're falling on our face, right? Collectively, we don't really have a good handle on a pandemic protocol and how to deal with that as a society. We clearly don't have any sense of a protocol for how to deal with the economic consequences of sending everybody into a quarantine. And I don't blame people for that necessarily because, you know, we're all learning as we go and nobody's been through this. But I think we'd be foolish to act like we're actually handling it well. And that question of how candid we can be comes up for me in my own life. Um, I've seen it with, with athletes. I've seen it in intellectual circles that the people who can be most honest about their failures are the ones who can actually then achieve greatness. Have you found that to be true, too? Do you see that when you find people who can actually be honest, to be candid, can be brutally uh, direct in their assessment of themselves, or in this case, like the assessment of our culture? But where, how, do you, how have you experienced that in, in watching people deal with failure and grow? 
I think this is such a seismic event uh, and it's so disorienting that it is forcing all of us outside of our, our comfort zone, our daily routine, the way we talk and interact to each other. It, it does sort of trial by fire, uh, put all of our relationships to the test and kind of get them down to their essence in, in some ways and, and force us, as you said, to be candid in a way that uh, – Day to day, maybe we, we just we busy ourselves and we we ignore the things we want to ignore. And this this crisis does not allow for that. It really has to, it really distills um, our relationships with one another down to their essence and forces us to be self reflective. So uh, I, I do think people will come out of this um, hopefully with with the stronger reality check about as you said our own. Uh, failures and the time we have left on the service, how can we make ourselves better people? Um, but also the relationships with the relationships with our families, with our loved ones, with our colleagues, to make sure that those are kind of ground them. Ground them in a way that uh, you know maybe they hadn't been hadn't been before. I, I see that happening with a lot of people that I know. They're they're grounding themselves in ways they had no idea how to ground themselves before because they're being forced into situations that they never would choose. They never choose this much isolation. They never choose this much alone. They never choose this much inavailability of distraction. And so it's just forcing all sorts of things upon people that they, you know, hadn't dealt with before. I was just going to say, and having conversations with each other that we would never otherwise have. What we're talking about around the table together at dinner as a family, but I think having different kinds of conversation and, you know, life is on the line. And so that really brings out a, a really intimacy of conversation with everyone that we interact with. And uh, again, I think there's, if some, some of that can be retained for good afterwards, there will be a silver line in this uh, unfortunate crisis. Right. So let's imagine, so we get to the other side of this crisis. What were the things that you hope for, like over the next five years, what were some, what are some of the things you'd hope to see in Atlanta and you'd hope to see in the growth of the film festival. What are some of the things that you imagine that you'd hope to have come to fruition? You know, I'm not sure I'm at a place that I can answer that question in a thoughtful way. I think we're still a little bit trying to get our bearings and think day to day, like how are we going to get dinner on the table tonight? What's the scene going to be at the grocery store? You know, what's next week look like for at my job? So it's, it, been hard for me to look past that, but to our conversation earlier, this is strictly now from a, again from an industry perspective. We were already seeing these changes coming uh, in the way that we consume movies and entertainment, and this crisis has really just been an accelerant poured on top of that. So our organization, we happen to be at a, an inflection point, uh, the end of one strategic plan, and uh, we were just in the process of authoring our next five-year strategic plan. So the timing of this is really put into focus very quickly. A lot of these questions that we're going to be facing about what does it mean to be a film festival? How do I connect with these cinematic stories? How can we provide a unique experience? That's truly industry um, and something that film festivals, film exhibitors, filmmakers are all going to be uh, reevaluating. You see all kinds of articles in the trades now about coming out of this, how uh, the movie business is going to be transformed and may never return back to what it was before. 
in some ways good and some ways bad, I'm sure. As far as uh, the community goes, uh, look, I think the number one thing we're all saying this, we knew that our healthcare system uh, had problems, that it was broken to a large extent. And this crisis, I think, has already put into sharp relief sort of where those deficiencies and gaps are and what needs to be addressed for whatever that next crisis is that's coming uh, down the road. And sort of the the day-to-day reality that uh, people confront when they want to go to the doctor, when they want to get treated, where those deficiencies are. I think also this has been a real test of leadership, uh, not to get political, but, uh, you know, we're all looking at the different leaders in our local, state, national government, uh, and seeing who is rising to the challenge. And I think it reminds all of us why leadership is so important uh, on every level, whether it's within your own family, within your own uh, company or organization, from your government. Uh, People need leadership in a time of crisis like this. And we're seeing uh, some of the best and unfortunately some of the worst uh, examples of that uh, right now but certainly as a value, uh, something that we, we recognize the importance of. Uh, I'm hoping something that, that is something that will outlive this and people will be reminded about the importance of leadership. I hope you're right. I mean, I would love to see that. It's, it's, it's so fascinating in these times of crisis when you realize that the leaders that are good 90% of the time, because 90% of leadership is administrative, sometimes they're just terrible when you get to the 10% that is truly critical thinking in times of uncertainty. And the difficulty there is that the guys that are great at critical thinking in times of uncertainty, oftentimes are not very good administrators. And so you can find those, right? If you can find those amazing teams of leaders that can work together and know when to defer to one another, right? Defer to their strengths. That's when you can see, you know, magical decision-making, but it's it's hard in politics, and I think we're seeing that right now. You know, we're out of time, but Kenny, this has been amazing. Thank you for taking the time in the middle of the quarantine to spend the time with us. Thank you for your leadership in the entertainment industry, your leadership in Atlanta. Congratulations on, on running the largest Jewish film festival in the world, it sounds like. And thank you so much for taking the time to be with us on the Black Hall podcast today. Well, thank you. A, a great chat. Is there? Do you have social media, or what? What are ways for people to find you if they want to follow your life, find out what's going on with the film festival, etc.? Uh, absolutely, uh, we're on all social media channels, and uh, our homepage is ajff.org, and that tells you everything you need to know about our programming, uh, how we're navigating the current crisis, and our plans for the future. Well, stay safe out there. Stay healthy. And uh, keep up the fight. You too. Stay safe and healthy, everyone. Thanks, Kenny. Bye-bye. And leaving you today, I'm going to I'll leave you with one of my quotes from my Instagram page. In crisis, we learn the real value of wisdom and goodness, be that in friends, lovers, or leaders. It's these critical junctures that reveal the quality of people that impact our lives. Great learning is now. This has been the Black Hall Studios podcast, recording from quarantine in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm Ryan Millsap, Chairman and CEO. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Black Hall Studios podcast with Ryan Millsap. We want to hear from you. Find us on SoundCloud, 
iTunes, or Spotify. And follow us on Instagram at at Blackhall Studios and at Ryan.Millsap.